When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Hi, we're here for another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Today, joined by Jordan Coe who's uh, from Baltimore Sporting Life. A lot of you folks will remember him from uh, that site and and know him well from the boards there. He's extremely active. But Jordan, we're happy to have you to talk inside linebackers with us today. Thanks, Ken. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we get right to it? Because this has been a fascinating position and is really at the heart of what Eric DaCosta and Wink Martindale did in terms of fixing a defense that was extremely broken after four weeks of the season this year. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough there at the start. Um, You know, not something that we're used to seeing from Ravens defenses, particularly against the run. Um, I took a quick look at the stats and, you know, in in the prior three years, it was 3.7 a carry, Mm 4.1 a carry and 3.7 a carry allowed. And um, this year it came out to be 4.7. So really uncharacteristic. Yeah, and I want to go back to that in a little bit, but I think maybe we give give folks a little bit of an overview of what we're talking about because sometimes the season flows by and you don't remember exactly where we were in week one and how different things were. But I want to go back to 2018 for a minute 
to underscore the changes. Because 2018, the Ravens had a relatively stable situation at inside linebacker with Mosley at the mic, having the green dot as he had had for, for his entire career effectively other than the first five or six games, and a weak side linebacker platoon that was astoundingly productive with uh, Owasso, Young, and Levine sharing that role. Levine, of course, a dime back, but takes the, takes the place of the weak side linebacker on passing downs. Uh, Owasso and Young sharing the other snaps. And that group combined for nine sacks. I believe it was for 10 passes defensed. Uh, just had a terrific year between them. You, you know, those are numbers you never hear approached by a weak side linebacker playing individually. Yeah, and they they really got strong contributions, you know, out of each guy tailored to their strengths. You know, Peanut was really, really strong on the blitz last year. Um, Levine, obviously, really stout on pass defense. Um, you know, they they really just seemed to have it tuned up in in the right the right settings in the prior year. Yeah, that's a that's a good point about going into 2019. They were really asking those players to do more than they had in 2018. So Owasso, they gave the green dot. They worked all in the offseason to make sure he could be uh, the signal caller. And with that comes every down responsibility, which is a little bit out of his bailiwick. And we'll talk about him individually a little bit later. But they also uh, had Young and Chris Board at the weak side linebacker that they were having to make a choice between. Board was actually coming out a little bit ahead of Young in some of the, the, uh, the preseason play. But uh, and it was certainly ahead of him on the depth chart there. But anyway, they, they had coming into 2019. We're going to try something new. We're going to try and give Owasso a bigger role. I think they thought perhaps they were getting 80 percent of the player at 20 percent of the price. They didn't really intend for Mosley to get away. They thought the franchise tag was too much to pay him. And then it turned out he signed for a hell of a lot more than the franchise tag with the Jets. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty accurate situation of, of what they thought they were coming in for. And, you know, I've got to say, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, Harbaugh and um, and DaCosta missed so badly on what they had here. It really seemed like going into the preseason, they knew what they wanted. They knew what they had. They knew kind of how they were ready to handle it. And it was a pretty big swing and miss. I, I would agree, Jordan. I, I think it was a huge swing and a miss. I was I was one of, I know not the only one, of very vocal people saying I did not want the weak side linebacker platoon broken up. But the main reason I didn't want the weak side linebacker platoon broken up was I didn't really think he could handle the, Owasso in particular, could handle the pass defense responsibilities that came with that position. But let's let's go on a little bit further in terms of what happened during the season. They the Ravens started two and two in the first four weeks. Of course, they had a big win over Miami, a win at home over Arizona that was fairly dominant. The score was fairly close. And then they, they lost at Kansas City, not the worst thing that ever happened to anybody. And then they lost at home to the Browns, which is by far their worst loss of the year, perhaps even including the playoff game, although I don't know if I can really say that anymore. <laughs> that four-game stretch told the Ravens everything they needed to know about not having the correct inside linebacker group for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I you know, the Cleveland game was the icing on the cake. I mean, Chubb was having his way wherever he wanted the gap integrity in particular was, was particularly bad um, in that game. And, and especially from the inside linebacker position, um, the Ravens knew they needed to kind of stay in their gaps. They, that was kind of how the defense was set up. And when they were in jumbo or when they were in base, they were still over pursuing on both sides, both on the strong side and, and on the weak side. And, and their running lanes were wide. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't know that I blame the inside linebackers entirely for that game. The outside linebackers made their share of mistakes in that game too, but it certainly there was there was plenty wrong at the inside linebacker position, and there had also been plenty wrong with the pass defense during the first three games. All sorts of zone breakdowns, uh, you know, that, that had largely been a function of using the inside linebackers and the space between them and the safeties in terms of of uh, you know creating mistakes. Uh, for opposing offenses to, to, to exploit. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree across the board, the linebacker position wasn't, wasn't filling the gaps, wasn't setting the edge, wasn't kind of getting their drops right. Um, you know, it was, it was certainly a team effort there in, in dropping the ball. Okay. And you, something you rarely see with, with a two and two team is they address this weakness very directly and on the fly with the acquisitions of LJ Fort and of Josh Bynes, before week five, inserted Bynes for a very significant role, 42 snaps against Pittsburgh in his first game. He very quickly collected an interception by the right sideline. Uh, so some of, uh, you know, Bynes was thought actually to be the guy and, and certainly would become the guy the Ravens depended on as a run defender. Fort, much more of a pass defense player. But, but Bynes came in and immediately made contributions in pass defense. Yeah. And, you know, his his integrity to staying to his man or to his spot, not over pursuing. I mean, if you remember back to that interception in the Pittsburgh game, that's exactly what it was. It was an overthrow. He had his man lined up in front of him. It was it was an easy pick on pressure from the outside. Um, but at the end of the day, that that's not what you were getting from Kenny Young and, and Peanut up to that point. Um, they, they couldn't keep their integrity, whether it was in the passing game or the running game. And it was I mean, that was a breath of fresh air when Bynes came in, made that pick. And uh, it really I, I think that moment actually settled that defense down a lot. It gave them it gave them trust to not pursue the hero ball type, which we had seen a lot of the first four weeks. All right. So Fort didn't play that first week. He actually played only on special teams, but he became a big part of the defense the very next week. Fort, an interesting case because he, he's been an NFL wanderer who's got half a season of snaps in eight years in the league. So it really had never been used in any kind of a more significant role. But he play, came to the Ravens and over the last 12 games of the season played 256 snaps, which is, you know, a quarter season's worth of a snap and three quarters of a season, which has been a hell of a lot higher rate than he's played over his years before. Yeah, and, and he, you know, Fort really came in and, and made an impact right from the start. Um, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but his role was really seemed to be carved out around around the passing game. Um, you know, you didn't see him a lot in those traditional run settings and the base packages. But when it seemed like it was going to be a passing down or, or likely to be a passing down, that's when we saw him. Um, and they didn't really use him as a blitzer either. Um, you know, for for all the blitzing that the Ravens did by by my count on the statistics, he blitzed about 10 percent of the time overall. Um, and that was that was pretty low for any of the Ravens players net in terms of what they were doing coming off the blitz. OK, was not aware of that. I'm going to have to look into that about the Fort Blitz percentage here. I, he did have some pressure events, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised it's that low. Take your word for it, though, at least for right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but let's, I thought. You know, obviously, DaCosta did a wonderful job of acquiring the right players, uh, of, of putting them in a position of going out and meeting the needs that were there. Martindale did a wonderful job folding these guys into the defense and creating a defense that the, for the rest of the year was absolutely outstanding. I mean, they won 12 straight games. Josh Bynes hadn't lost a game with the Ravens until that playoff game, neither had Fort. And, uh, yeah. and 
You know, they're they are, uh, you know, certainly to be credited among others in terms of solidifying that defense tremendously. And you certainly can't discount the value of um, Kenny Young being traded for Marcus Peters. He almost gets an MVP-level recommendation there. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about these players a little bit individually, and we can talk a little bit about packages they were in and such as we kind of go, but I want to spend some significant time on this. So we talked a little bit about Patrick Owasso in kind of this review of the season basis that you know the Ravens tried to give him the mic roll coming out of camp. It seemed to be too much. Now, if you think back to 2018, Owasso also took the mic roll for the period after Mosley's injury in week two until the end of the half, a period during which the Ravens gave up four touchdowns, got behind in that game and lost it, and then Weddle took it over effectively for the rest of the season. And I think it might have been every game. No, it wasn't the rest of the season until Mosley returned. That's really what it was. But anyway, uh, Owasso uh, uh, did not have a great year. The things that made him quite good, um, he was not able to do as much of uh, this year is, is one of the observations I would have. And I'll get into that more, but I want to give you a chance to, to react to what I've said so far. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, one of the, the things that I was looking at were the advanced stats from Pro Football Reference, um, which are where I pulled some of those blitz numbers. Um, and, you know, in he had fewer blitzes by about 20, um, you know, this past season than the prior season, um, generated two less pressures and two and a half less sacks. Um, and so I think, you know, qu- there's a, certainly questions about whether or not the role affected that. Um, but I think, you know, I don't know if it was health or, or what was going on with him, but there was certainly a decrease in that overall value of production um, that we saw from him. Well, one of the things that was true in 2018, and this it's it's just it boggles the mind sometimes. People always would berate Mosley's coverage ability. Well, Mosley, first of all, Mosley was a good coverage player, not a great one, but he's a good linebacker coverage player. And he's forced into a more concentrated coverage role by the fact that the line the Ravens didn't have anybody else who could do it. So the guys they the, the guys they had on the weak side who were in there for the non-passing downs, which were Owasso and Young, did not really understand the route tree going on behind them. They didn't have any real idea of what was going on behind them. So if they stood at the line of scrimmage, they're good downhill players. And Owasso can bring you some some ability to run pick plays. He can exploit a, a you know a, a twist or a move across the face of an offensive lineman to create confusion. And so he's good at some of those things. He can be the under or the over guy on those plays. But I, I, what he what he just couldn't do was drop into coverage and cover anybody effectively. He's, he's He was slow going back and non-aware going back. That was also a big problem of Kenny Young, by the way. But more importantly, I thought, is he really was not fast enough in terms of his recognition of screen passes to the outside. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's certainly the last portion of your point was was case in point in the Kansas City game when he whiffed on the screen for the first down that essentially ended the game, um, you know. But on top of that, I, I and I'll go back to kind of my assessment of DeCosta and Harbaugh missing on this. You know, Awanso from from the numbers that the advanced metrics, again, from Pro, Pro Football References site, um, you know, he wasn't terrible in pass coverage by the numbers in 2018. You know, 7.7 yards per catch against, you know, 75% in terms of completion percentage. That doubled in terms of yards per per completion the next year, and the percentage went up to 88%. Um, so, you know, again, I, you, you know, it's it's certainly one of the cases where awareness wasn't there 
Um, and I think there are some questions about Martindale's ability to coach that. Um, you know, you see that with a lot of these guys when they drop into zone. I've seen it, you know, this is getting outside of inside linebackers, but I've seen it from Chuck Clark. I've seen it from Bowser. These guys are great at getting to their zone and their spot, but they they don't seem to have any idea what's going on around them. And I don't know if that's that's talent and drafting or if that's coaching and, and how you get around that. Um, but the Ravens have got to be paying attention to that this upcoming offseason. Okay, interesting point. I'm going to make one point about the references that, that, you, that you claim. There are big differences between Pro Football Reference, Pro Football Focus, and other sources in terms of assignment of responsibility for past plays. So I, I urge people to be careful about that kind of stuff, in particular when Marcus Peters was acquired. Uh, Pro Football Reference or Pro Football Focus, I believe, had him for a lot fewer targets than what he would see with the Ravens. And some of that was a focus of a, a, a function of the defense the Rams played was a cover three, and he was usually on the back end of that. And so they often, their their rule is to assign that to an underneath guy if it's in between levels. And so he ends up with not a target. So I just say that that a lot of that in, in terms of, of um, Owasso being assigned targets is not really necessarily reflective of what his actual um, contribution or, or, or lack thereof was to the passing game necessarily. Yeah, definitely. And and these advanced metrics are, are fun and, and interesting to look at to kind of have some idea what's going on, but, but certainly not don't tell the whole tale. Yeah. I, I, I do love having them. There are big differences also in missed tackles. If you take a look at that, yeah. but anyway, that, another, another story for <laughs> another day. Um, so anyway, Owasso, I, I, you know, I, he maintained his ability as a pretty good special teams player. Uh, you know, it was nice to see him. I, they, there was reported to be a blow up between him and Harbaugh as his snaps decreased during the year. And I think I need to probably explain that in terms of packages as the season went on, because the Ravens. Um, OK, let's 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 do it this way. The Ravens play uh, with five different numbers of defensive backs between three and seven, though, on a per play basis. So let me talk about that a little bit. They use their jumbo package, which is with three defensive backs on about one point three percent of plays. That was that was in 2019. And that includes the postseason game through through 17 games. Those are primarily our goal line situations. Occasionally, there was a short yardage situation where they would put three defensive backs in, but pretty rare. The base defense. Now, base defense, people think, well, you should play that a lot of the time. Well, 10.6% of the time in 2019, lowest percentage in team history, down from the lowest percentage in team history record of 2018, when they played 15.7% base defense. So they're really using more defensive backs now. Now let's talk about the nickel, because that's really the key package for determining the inside linebacker usage here. 45.7% of the snaps they played in nickel. That is not too different from the year before. They played 53.7% nickel, so a more peaked with the nickel in 2018. Um, but the, in 2019, they still played 457 the difference is that they got away from their traditional 4-2-5, sorry, 2-4-5 nickel, where they play two down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, and five defensive backs. And they went to a package called, that I call the jumbo nickel. They'd used it sparingly in 2018. They used it a lot in 2019, where they would effectively take a wasso off the field and add an extra defensive lineman. Yeah, and and you know I, I don't know if that was a function of them feeling like they needed to bulk up a little bit up front um, or whatever that was. 
Um, Peanuts, uh, you know, his ability to block shit was was not great on film. Um, and I think that was always one of his biggest problems against the run and, and always led to kind of a little bit of his over pursuit. He was trying to get angles or trying to get to places a little bit to make sure that he wouldn't get engaged because he was a little smaller to to be able to get off against the run. And so I'm I'm not surprised to see the Ravens make a decision to to get bulkier in, in any way with him on the field. And bulkier they did in in great degree. And I think, Jordan, we're planning to do the defensive line at some point later, but uh, they had four nose tackles on this team at one point, you know, and, and they had, you know, Williams, not everybody considers Williams a nose tackle. The Ravens really have used him as a three tech now for, for quite some time, except on passing downs, Pierce, Ellis and Pekka were effectively all nose tackles. And they certainly have that size. But I think a lot of the use of that jumbo nickel was an effort to spread out the defensive line a little further which would allow two things. One is their edge defenders to be a little bit more effective because you occasionally get a smaller matchup against a tight end or maybe a fullback who could, you, they can shed easier or at least keep containment on. And then you also have, uh, then you're relying on your safety, in this case Clark, who's a fairly good run defender, and uh, um, uh, Bynes to hold the fort behind them. Hold the fort is a bad term here, I guess, to, to be effective behind them in terms of, of maintaining gap integrity, making sure those those breakthroughs that will happen to get into level two don't turn like quickly into, into level three runs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a spot on assessment. So one of the things I, I promised I wanted to do is give you those nickel snaps divided out among jumbo nickel and non-jumbo nickel. 45.7% nickel, I'm going to estimate it was about 45% of those which were jumbo nickel, but I don't have that. We'll have that right when we do the defensive line together because it's still very relevant there. But let's move on with our with our uh, uh, discussion, the inside linebackers while we're here. Uh, that wasn't the only package, by the way, where the Ravens sacrificed inside linebackers on the field, which I think is relevant. They played the dime 38.3% of the time. And that sacrifices at least one inside linebacker. But the Ravens also played that race car version of the dime with four outside linebackers, one defensive lineman, and six defensive backs. So in that case, they had zero inside linebackers on the field. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a big credit to Martindale to understand what he had and what he didn't have and really take a look at where he thought he could make that work. Yeah, agree completely. I, you know, they played also the most quarter they have in many years. It might be the second most quarter ever, 37 snaps. The 2000 team, not really known that this occurred because we think of that as just being such a rock-solid starting 11, but they played the quarter defense 55 times during that season, 62 if you include the postseason. And it was a very significant part of their defense. So was the dime and those nickel diamond quarterbacks are not generally remembered by Ravens fans. We remember the starting 11. We can all name all of them. But can you name the nickel diamond quarterbacks for the 2000 Ravens? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry I to put can. you on the spot, I mean, buddy. I could name you all the starters. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure you could. It is, it, most people can. So the, the three guys, Robert Bailey. James Trapp and Corey Harris. So three guys who were journeymen in the NFL and yeah. Marvin Lewis brought them in, molded them to exactly the function, very much exactly what uh, uh, Martindale did this year in terms of, uh, of making this defense fit together. It was, it was uh, wire and duct tape for a lot of the last 12 games, but they were very effective together. 
Yeah, James Trapp. He's the one I think I should have remembered. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. To, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about Owasso, and frankly, I don't want to beat on Peanut. I think there's still some some positive things he could he could do for the Ravens going forward. I don't know if he'll be back. I think it's possible. Uh, unfortunately, he's one of those players who bet on himself in the fourth year, and it didn't happen to work out this time. I think the Ravens did make some sort of a, a multi-year contract offer to him. I'm hoping that a player uh, like Clark uh, now could benefit from his experiences, meaning Owasso's, and look forward and say, hey, if there's some divisible benefit on the table, maybe it's worth taking here. Other players have gotten injured in year four. And I don't want to risk that. Other players have been less productive than they expected in year four. I don't want to. Pre- I don't want to risk that. I've got a lot of my financial security lifetime riding on this, and they can come to a divisible benefit answer, which saves a team five million maybe on the term of the contract, and gives Clark the security he would like. Yeah, and DeCosta seems a hundred percent committed to. Uh, getting guys signed to those kind of contracts and saving around the fringes there, which are going to pay dividends, maybe not this year or next year. But when when those cap numbers start to explode for the high end players, we're going to be glad we had it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and Clark in particular, because he's so essential to this defense and being the signal caller now, I think you you really want to plan around who that guy is going to be. And, you know, you can't have only one guy who can ever be it. But Clark is awfully good at it. And it's, it just seems like it, he's the natural guy you really want to spend a little bit extra money to, to, to make sure he's around for a few years. Definitely. All right, let's move on to Kenny Young. Obviously, you mentioned earlier already Kenny Young provided the Ravens some dividends in terms of uh, the Peters trade. You look at that trade, I've, I've made the point several times, but I don't mind making it again, that, that Peters was acquired for about 4% of the draft capital cost of Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I'm I live in L.A. and I'm still wondering what the Rams are doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> are you a Rams fan at all, Jordan, or just a, because you're uh, local? Nah, just a, a transplant out here from the Baltimore D.C. area the last three years. Uh, gotcha. Okay, so that's a, a lot of transitional population there in L.A. Right, so you, it's it's hard for them to really have deep-rooted football fans. Yeah, well, and and the the love hate of the Rams apparently out here is strong after they left the first time. <laughs> okay, did not know that. All right, so uh, you know one of the things to like about Kenny Young in 2018, good gambler in terms of you know taking a risk on a gap. I do like that, and and I think you can afford to have one of those guys at your two inside linebacker spots if your other guy is a very disciplined gap defender, as Mosley was is as far as I know with the Jets, but what was certainly in 2018. Um, he's not the kind of guy who you can play next to just anyone. But I think if you if you want if you're gonna have to take chances on him, you know, running all over the field trying to make plays, you gotta have another guy who's playing more discipline. And and you know, you're talking about a guy that was exceptionally explosive, you know, especially in the gap, like you said, when he when he picked his spots. Um, that was certainly that was certainly something to behold um, when he would he would pick up some really big tackles for a loss when when he picked right. Um, and it was just and, you know, I mentioned this earlier. I, I just wonder where the lack of awareness for all these players seems to be coming from it. The, the Ravens have have, you know, had plenty of linebackers come through that have been really bright and really seem to understand the game. And it seems like from an interview perspective, they'd be keying in on some of these things. And, and I don't know, you know, Kenny Young's the perfect example of where 
maybe they were willing to trade, you know, some pure athleticism, which he really was, um, for a little bit of that that kind of more intelligent um, IQ football IQ kind of player. Huh, that's a really interesting take on that. I I, I had not heard that said before, but you're I mean you're absolutely right that they haven't have haven't had to reach into the drafted ranks all that often. Obviously Mosley was that, but they've they've gotten a lot of undrafted talent in McLean and Orr and Spart Scott and others, you know, that, that is that has been so good at the position. They haven't even LRB, they even haven't had to to reach into the drafted ranks off that often. Some of the sevens uh, you know that that they've had in the past, Mike Smith comes to mind. Who was the other guy that that they, they didn't even ever make a camp or make a team, I don't think? Jordan Phillips? Does that sound right? Yeah. Well, but they did trade up for um who was the guy they traded up for that was a total bust? Um ILB? No, no, no. Uh, oh, jeez. Um, How long ago? Uh, like in the like last like four or five years, he, they they like, traded up into like the the third or fourth for him. Um, and a lot of fans were big. Oh man, I can't, Arthur believe, I can't Brown. remember his name. Arthur yeah, Brown. Brown. Yeah, total. And uh, you know another instance where super athletic player that just seemed to not be able to get kind of kind of wrapped around the game in terms of what the Ravens were trying to do. Yeah, no, it's, that's a that's a good one. We we just did an episode on the XFL, or I probably wouldn't have been able to come up with that name again. But Arthur <laughs> Brown is still active in the XFL. Good luck to him. We don't have to spend a lot of time on Kenny Young. He's obviously not part of the team's 2020 plans. We we thank him for the for his service and the return on the Peters trade. And uh, you know, I don't want to be any more glib about it than that. Kenny Young uh, obviously did what the Ravens could have hoped for out of that draft spot. Chris Board, another player I want to talk about, though, uh, he was ahead of Kenny Young on the preseason depth chart, which set off some alarms in my head. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I, again, you know, surprising that given where the Ravens and where I think fans even could see where Kenny Young was in his development. You know, he was successful sometimes downhill, but but really all around not there. The fact that that board was just barely ahead of him and they were still kind of splitting snaps um there were there were some real questions about whether or not they could do something at that point and you know who knows maybe DaCosta looked um and and just you know wasn't happy with what was out there Fort was obviously cut after week four so that was timely um but yeah board is board seems like he's a special teams player at, at kind of the maximum right now yeah I mean I, concussion problems all year kept him from really playing he played a, a a snap here a snap there the Ravens seem to have a guy every year who is a goal line specialist at that weak side linebacker spot and part of the reason is there's some there is some helmet to helmet action there at least I think this is part of it and they they may want to take less less risk with their weak side linebacker in that alignment uh mm-hmm. and and anyway, they had they had board playing that role, and so he'd pick up these oddball goal line snaps, and they'd remove, um, you know, Young or Owasso, and they'd put him in, uh, and and it was a it was just a, it's a strange combination of things. But anyway, it's something the Ravens have done for a fair number of years now. Going looking back, yeah, that's interesting. I I haven't noticed that, but now that you you say that, that that rings true. All righty, now. Getting on to the two guys then who turned the team around when they when they showed up with Josh Bynes, obviously we picked it. We talked about him briefly. He's got to rank as one of the great street free agent pickups in team history in season. Yeah, and especially for a guy that the Ravens knew, Harbaugh knew, uh, you know, played a role in the prior Super Bowl team. You know, he, he had been around, and and you would have thought that, I mean, how he didn't get a camp invite at some point 
from the Ravens, you know, seems like a mystery to me. Um, but, you know, what a wonderful story. Yeah, I wonder if he wanted a contract or something then or what he was expecting. He'd been, I guess he started for the Cardinals the previous year or had played significantly for them at least. Um, Bynes uh, had the rare, one of the few players who ever called games, and he actually called two as, as the green dot holder during the Ray Lewis era, won an end-of-season game in 2012. And another, he was he was that horrible Denver game at home they lost. Not the Mile High Miracle game, not to be confused with that at all, but the one where basically a bunch of starters sat out at home. Uh, he, was, he was the defensive signal caller in that one as well. Uh, Ravens, of course, went 23 straight years of having their opening day signal caller be the Mike linebacker. So the t- 1996, they opened the season, opened their franchise, and Eric Turner was the defensive signal caller for that first season. And I thought he'd be around for longer than that, but that was it. That was his only year with the Ravens. Uh, then uh, Ray Lewis took over in 1997 when he started playing 100% of the snaps and kept it as long as he was around. And when it wasn't him, it was other journeymen, Nick Grison and, uh, you know, Bart Scott or Edgerton Hartwell, whoever it might have been, who stepped in and took that role for him. Yeah, it's a, a strong history of good inside linebackers from the Ravens kind of grooming system. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's very fortunate. So, Bynes, we, let's talk a little bit about him. Uh, as a past defender, I was probably more shocked at how much he provided. Now, the first – you mentioned the first interception. It was on the right sideline against the Steelers, just an overthrow on his man. He's over in fairly soft coverage of the guy. It's an overthrow where he hustled to the ball, made the catch running out of bounds, just a good hustle play interception. Loved seeing it. Uh, not – you know, not a hot, not an interception anybody could have had, but then it started it, the the second interception he had and the past def- another pass defense he had told me he's really reading the quarterback well in the middle of the field and I, you know immediately the light went on it's that's what we've been missing in these first four weeks is we haven't had the quarterback read from the middle of the field by anybody except Levine uh, at, in terms of what's been going on there so far. Yeah. And and what interested me about that, you know, I, I completely agree is is that the, the way the Ravens set up their defense is that in particular with the, the lower usage of those inside linebackers and the less responsibility as they were trying to kind of dumb some of that down, I think, in, in how Martindale was rolling out those packages. I mean, the key really was the quarterback. It was kind of keeping between the hashes or keeping in your zone and, and kind of looking to see where the ball was going and just keeping the play in front of you. Um, and so it was really nice to see Bynes come in, understand the system, kind of be a little bit familiar with the history of the Ravens, I think, and be able to step right into what Martindale needed. Yeah, Bynes with much more practiced ability to stay one gap behind the ball carrier as he moves across that line of scrimmage, make his move at the appropriate time to do that. Much more disciplined, gap conscious defender against the run. And that really showed up. I mean, if you look at the stats in terms of yards per play with those guys, and that, it, it, there was a general improvement in the defense. Some of this is on the back end, of course. So I don't want to, I don't want to say it was all these guys that made these numbers, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Uh, Kenny Young played 92 snaps for the year, 7.8 yards per play given up defensively by the Ravens on those plays. Board played 59 snaps, 7.1 yards per play given up on his snaps. Owasu played 469 snaps, 5.8 yards per play given up on his snaps. 
Fort played 256 snaps, 5.0 given up on his snaps, and Bynes played 404 snaps, 4.4 yards given up per play on Bynes's defensive snaps. So yeah, and I, you know what? Yeah, the gap control I think is it was key. You know, the the way the Ravens blitz and the way that they're aggressive into their gaps, run fits are so important for this team. Um, and his ability to make sure that he stayed in wherever his run fit was went a long way in shoring up what the Ravens were doing on run defense. Yeah, it really did. And and they were able to keep that strong ability to maintain gap integrity even after they lost Tony Jefferson, which to me I thought was going to be the death knell for this defense, that the loss of him as a run defender when the run defense was already a question mark was going to be difficult. So, so yes, Bynes had been acquired. Ford had been acquired. We didn't really know what Fort was going to offer in terms of the run. And then they lost Jefferson. I thought, okay, if they're in the jumbo nickel, they would normally ask Jefferson to do something. Who's this Clark guy and what's he going to be able to do to provide in terms of that? But of course, Chuck Clark stepped up and immediately was everything the Ravens could have hoped for in terms of that. Yeah. And Clark brought that intelligent play with binds i think i think you're right that the combination of them together was was a really good one and and you know i was not the the world's biggest tony jefferson fan even against the run um because i didn't think he was i didn't think his nfl iq was was good enough um at safety you know i I always thought he was built a little bit more like an inside linebacker because recognition wasn't you know wasn't quite where i needed to be sometimes especially in the passing game well, he definitely was not a very good back-end player. And and even when I studied him coming over from Arizona, the first thing I noticed, you know, he is a not impressive back-end player. Good run defender, and he can cover a tight end man-to-man very well, which he's used at a lot, a lot in Arizona. But they didn't really... They didn't really use him in that role too much with the Ravens. They, they, they didn't. And it's funny because Clark really got a lot of that role directly by by being a dime guy in the dime package. So, Clark, you know, you have outside corners who move into the slot when you when you go to the nickel. But you also have, and, and Clark is a fairly rare one, a strong safety who moves up to play dime with another str- a, a deep safety coming in, in this case, Carr, you know, to play in the dime defense. And, it's you know, that mixer responsibility is actually a little bit rare. And, you know, Lardarius Webb had it at corner. But in terms of, of safeties that the Ravens had, Clark is really the first I can recall. I have to think of if there's if there's been another Ravens player. But since the Ravens have typically had a fairly dedicated dime back, I can't remember another time where they had a back-end safety who also played some dime during the same season. It would have to be somebody where the Ravens didn't have very good safety. So maybe I'll go back and look at the 2014 season again and see what they were doing that year. But, uh, but kind of an atypical set of responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, Thinking about just guys that would be in the box, Dwan Landry might come to come to mind of, of a guy that was playing a little bit like that, but but totally agree. Yeah, Dwan Landry was also a guy who, um, uh, what's the word? Made Ryan made more bold in terms of outside corner blitzes because he could he could jump right in on the outside and cover a wide receiver. So it, yeah. it's not that Landry couldn't do a lot of things. He's a hell of a player. Great find for a yeah. fifth round pick. Okay, so let's. The last guy we haven't talked about here is LJ Fort. He came in, obviously made a very significant special teams contribution to the Ravens this year, but also uh, he played in one of the two major dime packages that the Ravens played in the, in the end of the year. Now, I mentioned that race car dime they were playing. It's maybe 45% of dime snaps, and I have to go back and confirm that 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's a portion of the dime snaps, not 45% necessarily. But they but they played some of a standard dime where they had four in uh, to go with six defensive backs and then four at the line of scrimmage, which was usually uh, three outside linebackers, including one kick to the inside and one defensive lineman. Yeah, and he was tremendous in that role. I, you mentioned it earlier. He had a couple big negative stops on on running plays in some of those situations. Um, I can remember a couple of plays where he came up where he was kind of in a hook zone or, or something a little closer to the line of scrimmage. And he came up and made some big stops either on QB sneaks or dump offs. Um, you know, his his short distance quickness was was rather impressive to me. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't expect to see that kind of short burst from him. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a real good point. I like that. I also loved how quickly he recognized uh, the screen passes or passes going to the outside. He was he's just it's night and day between what the Ravens had there to begin the year, just him being able to sprint to the outside and cover a running back and realize, hey, wait a minute, that's where the ball is going. Uh, I, that's where I'm needed and, and, and go there. I, that's something the Ravens missed a lot this year. They missed it really from their outside linebackers as well. Judon had a little bit of ability to diagnose screen passes as they were happening. Uh, most of the rest of the defenders were not particularly good at it. Uh, and and that uh, honestly was a place where they really needed LJ Fort to be uh, bringing it, was uh, was figuring out when that ball was, uh, was, was sneaking out of the backfield through the back door. And it's, uh, it, it's incredible to me about how kind of individually talent-based or, or kind of just self-developed those things are. You know, the Ravens had probably one of the best outside linebackers from a screen recognition standpoint oh, yeah. on their team in the last 14 years. And and then you've got these guys that are coming in behind him, same coaches that could have learned from him, tips, whatever that was. He just had a knack for it. And, and you know, that's what's so interesting about kind of the draft and where they're going with these guys is that, you know, Suggs could just he just kind of had an, he knew. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you need players that just kind of know that, that it, it seems like these are the kind of things that you can't coach. Um, and that they aren't going to learn, you know, just just on just from their coaching staff. Um, and so I hope the Ravens are thinking about that and looking for some of those kind of players as they're heading into, you know, this this upcoming season. They found well, it in Bynes and Fort, like you just said. Well, the year that Suggs retires, whether or not he wants to coach the whole season, I hope he'll come and coach camp with him. Come as it be yeah. assisted during camp and tell them. Try and have them work with one or two players, do whatever, because just what Suggs did in terms of his violence, the tricks he had to hold the edge, the things he would do to diagnose the screen, because it's got to be 20 tells he's looking for. And, you know, he all of a sudden he picks up three of them, like, okay, screen pass. And the things, the gambles he would take that were just odd were these peekaboo interceptions he had twice against Roethlisberger. I mean, it, there's got to be some of that is translatable. I don't know if if Suggs wouldn't be maybe eager as an active player not to give some away, but I would think after he mm. retires, the, the lid should be off on all that, and he should be able to give all of that away to players of his choice, and hopefully they'll be Ravens uh, you know, in, in retirement. Anyway, I, I would love to see him come back as a coach. Yeah, me too. I, 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 would, I would bring him back as a sub-outside linebacker for next year as well. <laughs> you would, okay. Okay, that's uh, that will be on the table as as one of the possibilities. But let's look at the 2020 inside linebacker group and how they're going to build that because they're at a point where they have let's see one one player under contract, LJ Ford, <laughs> and they they need to figure out how they're going to fill that out. Whether it's draft is is certainly a possibility. A lot of people 
Uh, have Murray as the Ravens selection at number 28. He may last that long. He may not. We'll see. Uh, and, and if he is there, how how do you feel about the Ravens using the number one draft pick on an inside linebacker? I mean, we saw a lot of success with it out of Mosley. You know, you, you saw being able to anchor a position, what they could do around that. I think you have to look at your coaching staff and where your strengths are. And Martindale's strength is clearly substitution packages, clearly kind of leveraging when he knows he has anchors in certain places. He used Marcus Peters to perfection in that way. I think when he knows he can do set one or two pieces or three or four pieces, what he can do with the remainder is really effective. And so when you look at where the Ravens are at inside linebacker, I, I wouldn't object to that, you know, if they think he's the right guy. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen enough of him in college to, to kind of give a self-assessment of him, but I wouldn't object to it because it's a, the front seven is a big need right now for this team. OK, and I, I agree. I want to bring talent there. I think they have greater need, first of all, in, in the pass rush. So I think they've really got to look at either an interior or outside linebacker pass rusher. But here's my problem, basically, with drafting inside linebacker number one. I, I, I think I'm going to say with all the success the Ravens have had, at number one at inside linebacker, and also with undrafted at inside linebacker, I think I prefer the platoon methodology. So it means I, I'd like to probably bring back Josh Bynes. And the reason is this, that it's easier to build a platoon at inside linebacker, and it's better if you don't depend upon any inside linebacker to be your defensive signal caller. So you'd rather have it be Clark, and if that's the case— then that allows you free substitution at the inside linebacker positions. So you can go to the quarter, you can go to the dime whenever you want, including the race car dime where you don't have any inside linebackers on the field, and you're free to, to, to make those changes. Now, last year, the Ravens used only 1.28 inside linebackers per snap, which was by far the lowest total in team history. Now, you hear me talk about sometimes on the show teams that have, are committed nickel teams. That means they play two inside linebackers every single play. So it's very unusual for a team. In fact, I doubt there's there's been a few dime teams over the years, the Cardinals and whatnot. But th there have been very few teams in NFL history, I would suggest, that have played as few inside linebacker total snaps as the Ravens did in 2019. Yeah, well, and, and you know, when you're looking at I, I agree, you know, I, in some ways I was surprised that the guy that they had signed to bring back was Fort over Bynes. Um, just kind of given the 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 quality of the role of what you got out of the snaps, um, it, it felt like Bynes did what he was supposed to do better than Fort did what he was supposed to do. Not to take anything away from Fort, mm -hmm. um, but what I think is interesting about the 2020 season in that regard is there are a lot of permutations about what direction the Ravens can go here. Um, I, I'd be on board for bringing Bynes back as well because it's it's a cost effective method to mm -hmm. do so. Um, but a guy like Corey Littleton, who is a phenomenal guy out here in L.A., oh, yeah. pass, good inside linebacker, going to be a free agent, you know, at the right price. You know, he's not going to get mostly money, I don't think. Um, and at the right price with him, depending on whether you tag Judon, depending on who that draft pick is, if you can get an edge guy in the draft that you really like. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of iterations that the Ravens can go and, and Bynes could very well be a part of what that formula is. Well, let me say for starters, I absolutely love Corey Littleton. And I, I thought, uh, you know, he was one of the guys that when they were playing the Rams and we were looking at, at that matchup and, and, and how the teams would, would face each other, Corey Littleton was one of the players I thought the Ravens really had to account for in that game. Uh, you know, good pass defense and run defense linebacker. But I, I definitely, 
I, I cannot see the Ravens spending $12 million or $14 million or whatever it will cost to get Corey Littleton per year uh, when they have so many other needs at other positions. And I, I don't think they can commit to a five or six year deal either. And, it, you know, maybe maybe Corey Littleton, he wants a four year deal. He wants a second run at free agency. Maybe that's exactly what he wants. But I don't think they want to commit to a five or six year type deal for a mega free agent, uh, which is one of the reasons why I don't think they'll really get Chris Jones, for example. And I think they've really got to prepare for the contract to be given to Jackson as early as after 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm you know wouldn't disagree with any of that, and and I think that the, what happens with Judon is going to be interesting to see. You know, we've we've seen on ESPN and them reporting that the Ravens are already talking to teams about a tag and trade. You know, mm-hmm. what that's going to net back? Will that be a pick in this upcoming year? Um, if that's the case, and and they like where they are at the end of the draft in terms of a pass rusher, in terms of a wide receiver, whatever whatever that allows them to potentially do in free agency, I the, the Ravens are surprisingly in on bigger name free agents more often than it seems like they are. Um, when you kind of look back, they're all, they're always kind of squeezing away that one veteran wide receiver, right? We, we had Weddle come in, we had Thomas come in, we had Jefferson come in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Ravens aren't afraid to spend big on one free agent per off season. They won't do it for more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I was on the Thomas train all the way through the last off season. He was the guy I wanted them to bring in. And a lot of people thought there was just no chance that we could fit him in the cap. He wanted to be here that it was going to work out. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think, like I said, I just think there are a lot of ways free agency in the draft could play out. And, and that's a positive for the Ravens right now. Yeah, I, I agree. They, you're always better off going into that draft with the most potential options of what your first round pick will be. You can trade up. You can trade down. You can go for an outside linebacker. You can go for an inside pass rusher if you want that. You can go for an inside linebacker if you want that. You could go for a safety if you want that, even though the Ravens seem pretty stocked there. I do think they're likely to go for a defensive player. I don't think they'll reach for a wide receiver, certainly. I don't think they'll take a hot wide receiver even in the first round. I think they'd prefer to trade the pick. Um, but anyway, I, I I think they've got a a wider selection. I just... I would prefer if their first round selection in this next draft was not an inside linebacker because of the associated risks and the limitations it places on your defense. If they they, they will if they draft a, a guy and he is the unicorn and it works out, um, you know, at the at the best, they have a player for a period of time who is always an injury risk for the team. And obviously, you know, that's true of any first round player. So it's not really fair in that sense. But think about how debilitated the Ravens defense was during Mosley's four years here, five years here, uh, when he was out. They were terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that's I wouldn't disagree with any of that. And and again, you know, I don't know enough of an evaluation of um, of Andrews out of Oklahoma to have any idea whether or not he's going to be worthwhile. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I would I would flip around the, your point in the, in the concept that the Ravens know how to find inside linebacker talent. Mm-hmm. And if they believe he is kind of the answer and they believe he's a Mosley level player and he can come in. I'm, I, I'm not going to fight them on that because I think that they know or at least historically have known where they're where they're going with those picks. OK, well, that's that's fair enough. And that's certainly the party line I'm going to take if they do end up drafting inside linebackers. <laughs> the, the Ravens know what they're talking about. I believe they've got the guy that's the. Uh, 
that's that's right with that group. Is there any other way you'd like to do this? Would you reestablish the weak side linebacker as a platoon position, maybe with the pieces you've got? Actually, Chris Board is still under contract. So we kind of missed him. We've kind of forgotten about him, a third-year player next year uh, who still has, you know, two cheap years left or one cheap year and then an RFA year. And Alaka is on the on the roster as well. Okay, so uh, another another guy they'll bring to camp and they'll see if he can. Right, another spot. yeah, he was the the undrafted guy that that was on the on the IR, but you know, um, you know, so they've got a couple of guys they can work with. You know, I look if it if push comes to shove and and they can and they can sign, you know, let's say Calais Campbell and keep Jude on and really upgrade the pass rush and and they have to roll with Bynes and Fort and some other iteration of a platoon. Um, you know, I'm not going to be terribly upset with that. I, I thought it was workable, but I think they're going to have to improve in the front three then in order to do that. They're going to have to bring in a three tech that's that that can create pressure from the inside. Um, and if they do that, then I'll, I'll be comfortable enough with what we, you know, kind of the, the current situation as it looks like an inside linebacker. OK, I, I was I, I was very impressed with Martindale's schematic pressure ability. It was so good. And it, you know. Basically, that's the story of the 12 game winning streak is that, you know, it didn't it didn't matter that the, the Ravens leaned on their back end. They got all the schematic pressure and they didn't have to have individual pass rush winners down the stretch to do that. And they didn't really have anybody. Judon had a little bit of ability to win one on one. Nobody else really did. They didn't have McPhee, who provided a lot of the value early in the year. So, you know, it, it's interesting. All of this kind of ties together with what they do at inside linebacker with you again. But very exciting offseason to come. And I uh, got to say, Jordan, really appreciate you coming on the show, talking through the inside linebacker situation. Any other point you want to make before we cut this off in terms of the inside linebacker group and some other player or point we've missed? Yeah, you know, I would just say we should watch out for a wild card. You know, I, I think that the Ravens have a good beat on where these inside linebackers are. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. There's, there's a inside linebacker from green Bay that's about to become a free agent. Um, Blake Martinez, I think. Okay. Uh, a couple, there are a couple other guys that are out there that, you know, may, might be plug and playable for the Ravens. And, and I'd expect them to, I'd expect them to have a good beat on who some of those guys are. And if they bring in, you know, Fort was a guy they targeted last off season and, you know, we should just keep an eye out for the Ravens kind of getting one over on us and knowing that there's a guy out there that they really like. Yeah. It do uh, seem to be able to do that. And I, Blake Martinez, more of a standard size, six two two thirty seven inside linebacker. So uh, it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't shock me. Kind of surprising that, that, uh, uh, that he wouldn't be sought after though, given how well he's played in his four years at green Bay, but we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, Jordan. We really appreciate you uh, visiting with us here on this positional review for inside linebackers. Uh, we'll be back next week. Jordan, let's uh, let people know where they can find your material again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at, at BSL Jordan Co. And my last name's K-O-U-G-H. Um, and I, I've written some things over at Baltimore Sports and Life. Um, feel free to check them out there. But uh, thanks for having me, Ken. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, no, we, you're welcome, Jordan. We'll be, we'll be thrilled to have you back on, either for uh, another one of these positional views on the defensive line, maybe for something related to the draft, the offseason, or even next season for a, for a uh, offense or defense review. This has been a lot of fun. Sounds good. Thanks, Ken. All right. And other, other folks out there, if you're looking to do a film study short, please, particularly if you have a study or any other 
information that you've added to generally available statistics. I'm eager to talk to you about that. Uh, if you've got an article you're particularly proud of in terms of uh, evaluating things in a manner that is new or different, love to have you on the show. We'll talk through it a little bit. Uh, if you have an idea for a study, you can always contact me, not necessarily on a short, but just contact me on Twitter and we'll talk about it. And uh, always happy to hear from you. Thanks for joining us again on Film Study, and we'll talk to you next time. Sports for fans by fans. Find more great shows like this at BirdlandSports.com. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery scratcher, Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.